It's empty. It must be my turn. I just have that effect of driving people away, I guess, huh? You ever wonder what it might have been like if they had had Facebook on the very first Christmas morning? You know, they're in the manger, and Joseph pulls out his cell phone. He takes a picture of Mary, who's leaning over the, the manger, and posts it up on Facebook, birth of the first son, healthy. You know, and the first comment comes back, says, hey, you know, Magi won, right? Mag- birth of the wise men. Said, hey, congratulations on the ten toes and the ten fingers, but what's up with the ox? and the goats and the sheep in the background. And the second one comes in like, well, you know, congratulations, but what's up with the straw and the bassinet, you know? And the questions just kind of keep moving along. Or imagine what, what it might have been like if Mary had tweeted out, you know, said, first one's here, you know, at hashtag labor pains on a jackass, you know? Or something along the lines of, you know, First son born at, you know, hashtag animal house. You know, something along those lines. I mean, so when the the shepherds show up, right, and they are telling Mary and Joseph what the angels have been saying. says, hey, we had these angels show up and talk to us about this great news, this good news. And Joseph in particular, but maybe Mary and Joseph both could be looking around and saying, I don't see so much good in this. Yeah, the kid's healthy, but, you know, I didn't expect my first child to be born in a barn, you know? And there's, there are some ways where sometimes we miss seeing the good in the good news of Christmas. I read an article this week that was published by the Telegram and Gazette. And they said that 73% of people who say they don't believe in God, they have no religious belief, 73% of them We'll celebrate Christmas tomorrow. So I'm thinking to myself, here they are. They've got the habits of Christmas, but they don't have the good news of Christmas. They don't have the great news of Christmas. So I want to take just a couple of minutes in our service tonight just to make sure that we understand what the good news is and how we can experience it in our own lives. I promise not to be long. Just follow along with me and we go. The first point I really want to make is you know, why, what's the reason for the good news? The reason there is good news. You know, a long time ago, uh, probably a little over a half century ago, there was a, a famous theologian by the name of Karl Barth. This guy probably wrote more stuff explaining what God had revealed about himself to the world than anybody in Christian history. He wrote a a series called Christian Dogmatics, which was 13 volumes thick. I mean, it was a a massive set of books, right? All explaining in intricate detail what it is that God had communicated to us. And one time, as he was getting older in life, and he had been traveling, he didn't feel so well, he was was doing a a series of lectures at a university. And the habit of of those was when you got got your closing lecture, there would be an opportunity for for the students to ask questions of you. So he he goes through his series of lectures, he gets to the last one, and he concludes, and he kind of steps back from the podium, and the dean of the university stepped up, and he he said, Dr. Bart, we we know you're tired, we know you're not feeling well, so we're not going to subject you to a lot of questions from all the audience, that kind of thing, from all the students, but I'm going to ask one question on behalf of all of us. 
says, of all the great thoughts that you have, what is the greatest theological insight you've ever had? And he kind of stood back from the podium for a moment, and he kind of dropped his head half in thought, half in fatigue. And he stood there for a moment, and then he stepped forward, and there just seemed to be this kind of renewed gleam in his eyes, a, just a, a little bit more of a glow to his smile, and he said, said, the greatest theological thought that has ever crossed my mind is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The reason there's good news for us to celebrate tonight is because God loves us. The Apostle John quoted Jesus, putting it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The reason there is good news is because God loves us. You know, and I, and I think some, many of us, we miss pieces of that. We, we, we kind of think God's like Santa Claus, right? God's got a, he's, he's got a list and he's checking it twice and, and he's seeing how many naughty entries you have and how many nice entries you have. And if you've got more nice entries than you've got naughty entries, and at the end of the day, God gives you the gift of his love. It doesn't work that way. God sent his son into the manger because he loves us just the way we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're doing or where we're going. God loves us. And that's the reason for the good news. The reason why it's good news is related to the reason why Jesus came the purpose for his life on the planet. When these angels showed up in the middle of the night, scared the daylights out of these shepherds. <laughs> you know, they, they, they were overcome with great fear. They scared the daylights out of them. It says, we bring you good news of a great joy, for today is born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The reason the good news is good news is because we need a Savior. Now, I'm not sure all of us really buy that. I mean, if Jesus came and we didn't really need a Savior, then it's really not that good a news, is it? I mean, we don't need to be rescued unless we're lost. We don't need to be redeemed unless we've been kind of enslaved for something. And, and we sometimes think we can go back to this model of, you know, like the Santa Claus's list of naughty and nice. You know, as long as I get to the end of life, and I've got more nice entries and I've got naughty entries, and I don't really need a Savior. Well, it doesn't work that way on God's list. God's list has got two columns, and it's only got one line in each column. Top of one column, it says perfect. Never, ever, ever committed a sin. On the other column, it is imperfect. Committed any sin at all. And the Scripture tells us that all of us belong in column two, and not in column one. That every single one of us, somewhere along the lines, we have committed a sin. Does that make us evil people? No. It just makes us sinful people. You know, just because we commit sin doesn't mean we're evil people. It just means that we're sinful people. You know, I, you know some of, the, some of the, the best people in the world who are sinners, I'd love to have them as neighbors. I married a sinner. She married one too. You know, it, it, just because we're sinners doesn't mean we're evil people. I mean, but if, 
if we just even commit one sin, the check mark goes on in column two. That one time you're riding in the car and your sibling was just driving you nuts when you were 12 years old, 12 years old, and you smacked them because you were mad at them. Check. And you can come up with your own list. Well, you say, well, why did we get the law then? Why did God give us all these rules that fill up all these pages, you know? Well, the, those rules were really designed as a gift to us. They weren't designed to empower us to keep our name out of column two. It was really designed to keep us from having the fracturedness that entered our lives because we had resisted or rebelled against God's sovereignty, his thou shall and thou shall not. And we kind of decided, well, we're going to do what we want. And when we do that, it enters a dynamic into our lives and into our societies and into our relationships that can just rip everything apart. And God gave us this gift to try to limit the impact of that fracturedness on our lives. But part of that goodness is that those laws show us that we really do need a Savior. And God gave us that Savior in Jesus Christ. So if you go back to this column, you've got column one perfect and imperfect or sinner over here, and all of us fit in this category in column two, but there's one person who fits in column one. And he was the one who was born on Christmas morning, Christmas day. And, and he was perfect. As a man, he lived his life perfect. And as God, he had the ability to move all of us from column two to column one because he was the one who was going to offer a sacrifice in our place. That's why he's called a Savior. And that's why the good news is good news for us. See, God intervened in human history personally in the person of his sin to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, which is to live a perfect life. And because he was God, he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And as a part of that, you and I can be rescued, saved, redeemed. So that putting the good back into the good news of Christmas, I need to understand the re why there is good news in the first place. That's God's love. We need to understand why it's good news. It's because Jesus is a Savior. We also need to understand what our response to the good news is supposed to be. You know, you read through the, the scriptural story, and you, you really see three categories of responses to the good news. One category are those who were incensed by it. In the scriptural story, I think that would be Herod, right? We didn't read that portion today. But Herod was the king of the region, and these three guys who were astronomers have been studying the stars. They saw God's post-it note in the sky that said, the Savior's going to be born, the appearance of the special star. And they follow it for over a thousand miles, and when they arrive in Jerusalem, they show up and they say, well, wh where is the one who's born king of the Jews? And that made the current king a little unhappy, because <laughs> he already knew where all his kids were. And none of them had been born. So, you know, and, and Herod was incensed by the reaction, by the news of the coming of the Messiah. Scripture tells us that when he got, got outplayed by the wise men who went home a different way, that he actually was so incensed that he killed every child, every male child under the age of two in that region. I think sometimes today we don't think we really get those incensed reactions to the good news today. But there really are those who do that. There are places in the world today when somebody gives their life to Christ, people are incensed by it. The big story of probably 2014 was this Sudanese woman who claimed that she had always been a Christian, 
But she was sentenced to death because they believed that she had converted from Islam to Christianity. There's still that reaction going on in the world today. I think even in our own region, there's those who, who, who they're really incensed by the, 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 just the concept that people need a Savior. They have, we, they have such, a, such, a, uh, such a sense that the human spirit is so great and so good and can so soar. So they're even, they just get angry when anybody even suggests that we could be imperfect and we need somebody to stand in the gap for us as our Savior and as, as our Lord. But most people don't get incensed. Most people are just indifferent. They, they know about it. They hear about it. They just don't really care about it very much. Scott would tell you that was part of his journey, right, for a long time. Kind of knew about this God stuff floating out here, but he just didn't really have much use for church and then much use for God, et cetera. He just drifted away to a place where he didn't believe. The guys that amazed me in our story today, and we didn't get all the way through it all, but when the wise men show up, they said, well, where's he who was born king of the Jews? And Herod says, well, get the Bible scholars. And the Bible scholars, they come in and they study the scriptures and they say, the guy's born in Bethlehem. And you know what? Those guys didn't even go and look. Can you imagine that? Here these guys have traveled thousands of miles, and they're asking them the question, where is he who was born king of the Jews? They know the answer, and yet they just go back home and sit down and don't even care. They're just indifferent. They don't care. And I think there's a lot of us who fit in that category. But the response that actually puts the good back in the good news, I don't know, you could probably use lots of terms. It could be the idea of interest or inquiry. You know, uh, there could be a sense of intensity that in all of that kind of journey that leads to a place of discovery. It happened to the wise men who traveled thousands of miles. It happened to the shepherds who left their encounter with the, the angels and said, you know what, we need to go right now. No stopping at Starbucks, no Dunkin' Donuts trips, no going past go to collect 200, none of that. We're going to want to go straight to the manger and see this thing. And they're interested and engaged. And when we seek, we find. And when we ask, we receive, and we knock, the door's open for us. Scott told us about seeking God and asking of God for a year and a half through his prayer. And one morning he woke up and God met him. He put the good back in the good news when we respond with interest in a spirit of inquiry, in a spirit of connection with God's message to us. And my invitation to all of us tonight is to put the good back in the good news of Christmas, personally. For some of you, the, you, you may be doing that for the very first time, and there, was not, there would be nothing that would give my soul more delight than that. Just to simply acknowledge, we need a Savior. My name belongs in column two, as imperfect. To believe that God gave Jesus as the one who could move our names from column two to column one, from imperfect to perfect, because he covers us all, and just to believe that Jesus is the Savior. And to commit our lives as the best as we know how to living for him. And we'd love for you to take that journey, as those of us who call Hope Chapel home have done just that. Out in the, out in the lobby, actually, there's a response table, and, and, um, and one of those Bibles that that Scott held up, we have those out there. We have resources for children. We have resources for, 
for teenagers. And if you'd like to begin that inquiry, we would love to give you one of those resources to start to join. In fact, in the back of your chairs, there's a little card like this. I'd encourage you to fill it out because you may get out there and we may have run out of those. I don't know. But it would be great also for us to follow up. And like the scholars who were called alongside of the wise men to say he's born in Bethlehem, we'd love to come alongside to help fill in the pieces that you don't understand. But let's put the good news, let's put the good back in the good news of Christmas. The reason there is good news is because God loves us. The reason why it's good news is because we need a Savior. And the way it becomes good news is because we've been a people who've accepted God's gift of eternal life through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me lead us in a word of prayer, and then we'll have our closing song, and we'll do our candle lighting. God, thanks for the chance to gather tonight. God, thanks for the privilege of celebrating the birth of the greatest gift ever given, your son. Father, I, I know there's ways in which we don't fully understand the good news yet. But like the wise men, like the shepherds, launch us on a journey tonight to meet the one who was born King of the Jews, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. As we pray it in his name, amen, amen.